0: Cannot have lived very long if you think that there are no storms in life. In the Bahamas, we know quite a bit about hurricane storms, but the storms that I want you to think about as we look at this particular miracle of Christ are the non weather related storms that we all have. Storms that aren't tracked on the Weather Channel or ZNS radio, storms to do with money or children or employment or health, storms to do with bereavement, crime, and so on. And so on the particular occasion we're going to jump into in Jesus' life and ministry, uh, his disciples, his friends, and he himself found themselves in the middle of a very much weather-related storm. They were on the Sea of Galilee, a shallow sea that has gentle, gentle, I wouldn't call them mountains, but rolling hills on all the sides of the Sea of Galilee. And it was very common that certain winds would prevail at certain times. And suddenly, that otherwise calm sea or lake would be whipped up into a frenzy of uh, danger for ships, fishing ships that were there working. And so it was that day that a storm uh, blew up very suddenly and very violently because, as I said, the lake is shallow there. And we're going to jump in at Mark 4, verse 35. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn there. Or if you have a device, um, I invite you to go on your devices to Matthew 4 and verse 35. And this is a short account, but very full of meaning and encouragement. Mark 4, 35 to 41. Hear the word of God. And on that day, when evening had come... He said to them, Let us go over to the other side, that is of the lake. And leaving the multitude, they took him along with them, just as he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And being aroused, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, hush, be still. And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? And they became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Quite the miracle that Jesus did. I want to consider it under three headings this morning with you. One, look at Christ's example. Two, listen to Christ's encouragement. And three, learn from Christ's exhortation. Look at Christ's example, listen to Christ's encouragement, learn from Christ's exhortation. So first, look at Christ's example. In two ways, I want you to look with me at Christ's example. Number one, Jesus Christ is an example of in this account of ordinary and typical human weariness. Jesus was weary. He got weary in this episode of his life, and he got weary at other episodes of his life because he was human and divine. He had humanity that got tired like our humanity often gets So tired. It says in verse 1 of chapter 4 that he has had he had had a busy day, and he began to teach again by the sea, and such a great multitude gathered to him that he got into a boat and, and in the sea and sat down, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. So Jesus had been teaching. Large multitudes there on the Sea of Galilee. And so many, they were such a large crowd that he had to get into a boat. He was getting pressed in upon by so many in the crowd to listen to him teach. And he had a full day. He had been expending his energy, teaching the truths of God to these hungry people. And so he got weary enough that he slept. Slept in a storm, back of a boat. And this encouragement by looking at that example of Christ in his Typical human weariness is that when we get weary, and we all do, when we get weary, we can pray to this same Jesus for strength and for stamina to go on with whatever is before each of us. Because when we pray to a Savior who himself experienced physical weariness in his ministry on earth, he understands when we come to him in our times of weariness and ask him for strength. Ask him for rest. Ask him for stamina to do his will. He understands. We pray to a high priest who understands physical weariness. It says in Hebrews 4, verses 15 and 16, primarily dealing with temptation and handling temptation, but by extension also handling all the other things it means to be human. It says in Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, of the Lord Jesus, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in our time of need. Oh yes, when we look at Jesus' example, first we see that he gives us a good example of, in his humanity, being weary, worn out, tired. Because we see that example in Christ, we know he empathizes and can understand us when we come to him in prayer, and we're just spent. We're just exhausted. He understands. The second example we look to as we look to Christ in this amazing account, is that Jesus is not only the example of physical weariness, but Jesus Christ is the example of faith. You ever thought of that? That Jesus Christ, God, not only had people place their faith in him appropriately, but he placed his faith in the Heavenly Father. God, the Heavenly Father, was where Jesus Christ placed his own personal faith. And so as we've seen, this sudden and severe storm scared the Lord Jesus' men, and so it should have. I mean, they were staring down their own deaths by drowning right in the face in the midst of this storm. And so they had good reason to be scared. Their boat was taking water. There's no mention they were bailing. Maybe they had no bailing buckets. I don't know. But they were scared that they were going to die. And then in contrast, at the same time, in the same circumstances, in the same conditions... The Lord Jesus, the text says he was not just asleep, he was sound asleep. He wasn't experiencing fitful sleep. He wasn't experiencing tossing and turning sleep, which for some reason I had last night. He was experiencing sound sleep in the storm. Why? Because his faith was in his heavenly Father, all was well. Jesus' faith in his heavenly Father's care made his pillow soft enough for him to even have sound sleep when his disciples, no doubt, were hollering and when, in quotes, his waterbed was being jerked around up and down and side to side, he was sound asleep. You know, sound sleep and full faith hang out together. Sound sleep and full faith are best friends. Where you see one, you see the other. Sound sleep and full faith, and so jumping back into the account of verse thirty-eight to forty, and he himself was in the stern asleep on the cushion, and they awoke him and said to him, "Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing?" And being aroused, aroused, aroused excuse me, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, "Hush, be still." And the wind died down and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? They became very much afraid and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's interesting that according to verse 40, the Lord diagnosed that what the terrified disciples lacked was faith. It wasn't that they lacked oars or that they lacked sails. It wasn't that they lacked manpower. It wasn't that they lacked seamanship. It wasn't that they lacked experience. Jesus said, what you boys lack is faith. I can't believe you don't have faith. You see, in this matter and in all other matters, the Lord Jesus Christ practiced what he preached. He was calling his men who were in the storm with him to faith, but he exhibited his own faith. He practiced everything that he preached. And Jesus knew that he had come to earth to die on a cross, not to drown in a lake. And so he was in his father's care. And his father would see him through the storm. And Jesus knew that he would die by crucifixion according to the Old Testament prophecies. And he wasn't going to die by drowning. And so he had faith in his heavenly father that his father would see to it that the storm would be calm before his life would end in it. Jesus knew that he was invincible until the predetermined time established by his father was completed for the cross. And so Jesus had faith that his Father was in full control. That's a great resting place for you and I to come to. To have faith that our Heavenly Father is in full control. Theologians call that sovereignty that God is sovereign, that there's not one molecule in all of his creation, not one atom that is out of his control. That'll make your pillow soft in a storm that'll give you sound sleep and full faith. And so when you and I are in non-weather-related storms, we are to look to Jesus' example. And in the first place, we are to expect that we will be weary because and because he was weary. We can expect that he understands us and cares for us when we are in our states of weariness and exhaustion. And secondly, we look to Jesus' in his example of faith in his father, and we follow that example of faith in God to eclipse fear of circumstances. Faith in God to eclipse fear of circumstances. In Hebrews thirteen five, it says, let your character be free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. There will not be a storm in my life where Jesus Christ abandons me. There will not be a storm in your lives where Jesus said, this one's too big for me, I'm out of here. And then in 1 Peter 5, 6 and 7, we are told what to do with our anxieties because we all experience anxieties from time to time. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, watch it now, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. So now from looking at Christ's example, we go on to our second point, which is listen to Christ's encouragement. Listen to Christ's encouragement. Jesus was not silent. He wasn't the strong, silent type in the boat. He spoke. Listen to his encouragement. Number one, one of the primary and practical ways that the Lord Jesus encourages us as believers is by the demonstration of his power. Sometimes the demonstration of Christ's power in our lives is in direct answer to specific prayer that we offer to him. But you know what I've experienced in my life, and I'm not proud to admit this, that there have been plenty of things that I haven't prayed about that he still demonstrated his power over in my life. When we, for whatever reasons, fail to pray and Jesus exercises his power anyway, then mark it down, it is pure mercy and it is pure grace. And it's always to unfold God's perfect will for us, for our good, but for God's greater glory. And so, as I've told you, I can look back on many instances when I have seen God's, in spite of me, And in no way, because of me, demonstrations of power in my life. Where God has helped me when I haven't even called out to him for the help. Maybe you can relate. Now it's interesting in this account that there is no mention of the disciples praying. They weren't having a prayer meeting before they woke Jesus up. They just woke Jesus up and said, save us, we're going to perish. And so that's interesting to me. But in their urgent action to wake the Lord Jesus Christ out of a sound sleep, in some manner, it was prayer, wasn't it? Because they were saying, help us, (laughs) we're in trouble, help us. And so with fear and desperation and for nothing left for them to do, the men looked at their Lord, whom they loved, Sound asleep on the cushion at the stern of the boat, and they awakened him and said, Don't you care that we're perishing? Help us, Lord. They, you see, by seeing him sound asleep while they were all worried and anxious, they made the wrong conclusion that it's easy for us to make. They made the wrong conclusion that Jesus didn't care about them. Don't you care about us? They said, Lord, we're perishing. Don't you care? It's so easy, isn't it, for us to pray and maybe not see the Lord answer in the time schedule that we have set for the answer to the prayer or maybe answers in a different way than we ever expected or wanted and we can come to the same bad conclusion that Jesus' disciples did in the boat that day. Jesus, don't you care about me? I mean, don't you love me? Well, Jesus basically said to them what he's saying to us this morning. Jesus said to them, and Jesus says to us, I care. I care. Verse 38. And he himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And of course the Lord Jesus did care about them and he does care about us and he proved his care for them in that storm in that he awakened, spoke to the storm and calmed it. Calmed it. Jesus can calm your storm. You can call out to him and he'll hear you and he'll care. and He'll do what's the best for you. Not always a guarantee that he'll calm the storm because he could have purposes in the storm. But sometimes if we had a testimony time and opened it up for you to share who wanted to, you would tell about storms in your life's experience that Jesus calmed when you called out to him in prayer. I love 1 Peter 5, 7. I've just read it a moment ago. Casting all your anxiety upon him because... Why cast all your anxiety upon him? Because he cares for you. Casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Let's unpack that a little bit. In the Greek of the New Testament, casting, the word casting, is what a schoolboy does in June With all of his school books and notebooks and school supplies on the last day of school, he comes home, he takes his backpack, and he casts it down for the summer. He wants nothing to do with those books or school-related supplies until September. Casting is what we're to do with our anxieties. Casting all our anxieties, all our worries in the knapsack, as it were, and casting them all at the feet of Jesus. (laughs) I'm done with them. problem is we go and pick up the backpack, don't we? So when you sense you're holding the backpack again, cast it to Jesus. Lord, I can't handle that. I don't know what to do with her. That need is too big. Casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And so casting has that meaning. And it says all of your anxieties. Not the biggest anxieties, but not the medium anxieties. Not the medium anxieties, but not the tiny anxieties. The whole kid and caboodle. All of your anxieties. What are you anxious about this morning? Cast them all. On Jesus, because he cares for you. All anxiety. Empty your anxiety backpack with Jesus. And don't carry any of it. But then it says, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. Let me tell you what that means in the language of the New Testament. The word cares means watchful care what you want to have your babysitter do for your newborn baby when you and your wife want to go out for a Dairy Queen Sunday. You want that babysitter to watch your baby with watchful care, not with two eyes on the television and no eyes on the baby, but with an eye on the baby and an eye on the television. With an eye on the baby and with an eye on their device. Watchful care. Joanna, who's now 26, our daughter, I can remember as our first child, we were so, so very attentive to her needs, and we tried to be sure for JD as well, of course. But I can remember Joanne as a little, little baby getting croup. We lived up in Canada in the cold winter, and she got croup which is an infection of the upper airway. And when a person has croup, their cough sounds terrible. It's like it's just a terrible, rattly cough. It sounds so scary. And I can remember when she came down with croup, we just, we didn't sleep. We just watched her. Watchful care because we were concerned and we cared about her and we didn't want it to get worse. We wanted to see if it was responding to the treatments the doctor told us to give her. That's the kind of care that God has for each of you and me. Watchful care. Not absent-minded care. Not indifferent care. Not if I have enough time care. But watchful care. And so the verse tells us in 1 Peter 5, verse 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares, watchfully cares for you. I love that. And I hope that you love that. And Jesus in that boat and in a storm in perfect, watchful care for his friends. And so I ask you again. We all look like we got it together where our faces are washed and our shoes are on our feet and <laughs> smiles on our faces. But I ask you, what are your anxieties today? What are the things that are eating at you? Maybe you haven't even told your husband or your wife or your girlfriend or your boyfriend. What are your anxieties? Cast them on Jesus. Specifically, name them. Cast them on Jesus because he watchfully cares about you. Now, from looking at Christ's example and listening to Christ's encouragement, in the third place, we want to learn from Christ's exhortation. Really, when you stop and think about what's reported in these verses, it was a jaw-dropping miracle Jesus did, but it was a jaw-dropping miracle that Jesus did in two parts. In the first place, he stopped the wind. What was called a fierce wind in the verses, Jesus stopped like that. That was jaw dropping. But was equally jaw dropping was the second part. He erased the result of the wind instantly. The wind had whipped up the waves on the shallow sea of Galilee. They were white caps, they were filling the boat. And Jesus silenced and stopped the wind, and he erased the effects of the wind instantly. When you're the creator, you can do that kind of thing. It was jaw-dropping. And Jesus capitalized on the miracles which he did to exhort his disciples. He didn't just spare their lives, that was wonderful, but he spared their lives to teach them a lesson that they would need when they were with him and they would need after he was crucified and resurrected and ascended back to the Father, he taught them a lesson about fear and faith. And on the one hand, he taught them in this lesson to reject cowardly fear. And on the second hand, to radiate consuming faith. To reject cowardly fear and to radiate consuming faith. I want to take these one at a time, starting with rejecting cowardly fear. Look at verse 40, would you? And he said to them, why are you so timid? How is it that you have no faith? In the original Greek language of the New Testament, the word translated here timid is delos, delos it was best translated as cowardice. So we could say, Jesus asked them, why are you so cowardly? The Lord rebuked his men in the boat that night for their cowardice. And you know what? The Lord still rebukes you and me when we are cowardly. There should be no room in a Christian's life for cowardice, for being cowardly. Do you know why? Do you know why there should be no room in my life or yours for cowardliness? Number one, because God never gives it to us. It isn't a gift from God to be a coward. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. So we reject cowardliness because it doesn't come to us from God. God never gives us the gift of being cowardly. And second, we reject cowardice because it's characteristic of the old nature. It's characteristic of our flesh. Cowardliness is in Revelation 21.8. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. When we are cowardly, and I've been cowardly in my Christian life, when you are cowardly, it's emblematic, it's symptomatic of being in our flesh and not being controlled by the Holy Spirit. Okay, so those disciples that night were not to be cowardly. Jesus rebuked them for being cowardly. And then it says in verse 41, the very next verse, and they became very much afraid. Great. Did they miss the whole lesson about don't be cowardly? No. They didn't miss the lesson about don't be cowardly because it's a different Greek word here than the one that describes cowardliness. They came to a fitting conclusion. Having seen what they saw, having heard what they heard, having been taught what they were taught, they came to a proper conclusion. And this was the conclusion. The conclusion was that he's God. This is God in our boat. That's the right conclusion. And so in verse 40, delos is the word cowardly timidity. In 41, it's phobos, from which we get phobia. Phobos means reverential fear for God. We're supposed to have that. We aren't to be cowards, but we are to fear God. 1 Peter 2, 17, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, phobos, honor the king. And so from the first exhortation and the first lesson that Jesus had for them, which was reject cowardly fear, let's go to the second lesson, which is radiate consuming faith. Radiate consuming faith. Have you ever noticed That sometimes when you come to church, you see someone, a brother or a sister in Christ, and this person radiates faith in God. They trust God for a parking space. They trust God for the mortgage payment. They trust God for the person to marry if they're single. They just trust God. And you see them coming to you in the parking lot or you see them coming to you in the sanctuary, and you are glad to see them because they lift you up to have faith like they do in God. Have you noticed, honestly, (laughs) that some people in the family of God are the opposite? They complain about everything. Everything is just a a, a terminal problem. There's no hope. They're like Eeyore in the Hundred Acre Wood. Good morning, sister so-and-so. Go on, good morning. How are you doing? Oh, you know what happened this week. You just won't believe it. And honestly, when you see a brother or a sister in Christ that has that aura, I'll just be real. I feel like going the other way. i just being real. Pastors aren't supposed to go the other way, but I kind of feel like going the other way. But we want to be believers who radiate we radiate consuming faith in God. We're positive. We're excited. We have a testimony on the tip of our tongue at all times. That's what we to be. That's the normal Christian life. Hmm wrapping this up, but what's the point to see in the miracle of the Lord Jesus calming the sea? Well, according to the gospel account of Matthew, which is a parallel reporting to this one in Mark, Matthew reports that Jesus' rebuke of the men was, Oh, you of little faith. That's in Matthew eight twenty-six, And in that sense, the Lord Jesus wanted them to have bigger faith because he's a very big God. So it's in order for us to have big faith in a big God. And then in Mark, later in verse 41, at the end of this passage, Mark reports that the reasonable question was raised by the disciples who saw the miracle, who then is this? And in that setting, the Lord Jesus expected them to raise faith-building questions which intellectually would get to the correct understanding of who Jesus Christ is. He wants that for you and me too. He wants us to raise intellectually sound questions about Jesus Christ that will get us to the right understanding of who he is, the God-man, the Savior of the world. And then in Luke, the Gospel of Luke also reports this miracle. And in that report, Luke 8, 25, it says that Jesus questioned them with this question, where is your faith? (laughs) The Lord wanted their faith to constantly be in view. And it's the same with me and you. Jesus Christ wants our faith in him to constantly be in view. Wear it on our sleeve. Wear it as our uniform, our faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, we trust him to get us from earth to heaven. Can't we trust him for everything else on earth? And so proper faith honors God. And according to the account here in Mark of Jesus' miracle of calming the storm, there are some ways to have God honoring faith. You ready? I'll go through them really quickly. Number one, decide to have faith over fear. It's decision. It's not a feeling. Number two, remember that Jesus understands what it's like to be in a storm. Number three, review God's past demonstrations of power in your life. Maybe with a pen and paper. Sit down one time and when did God demonstrate power in my life to date? Well, that was in 2003 he did that. And then in 2004 he did that. That's a very good exercise. To review God's past demonstrations of power in your life. Number four, review God's past demonstrations of watchful care of you. The ways that you saw his watchful care of you manifested In your life. Make a list. And then just reject cowardly fear. When you feel like a coward, just reject it. Say no to it. And the way you say no to cowardly fear is to claim consuming faith. You know, faith and fear don't live at the same address. Faith and fear don't exist in the same instant of time. It's either faith or it's fear. Radiate consuming faith. Be the kind of person on this campus that when you come on a Lord's Day and other believers see you, they're glad to see you because you're going to edify and build up their faith because your faith is vibrant and robust and practical. Be that kind of a Christian. Radiate consuming faith. Now, I'd like us to bow our heads in reverence to God and close our eyes to eliminate distractions. And I want to give you some time and me some time to consider the storms that we are in. I want you in your quietness to identify the storms you're in right now. make a mental list storms scare you keep you up at night storms that make your stomach turn storms that you shed tears over Identify your storms. And now, while we're still doing business with God, I want us to give those storms to Him. Name names. Cast those storms at Jesus' feet. Tell him, Lord, I can't calm this storm I've tried. Please calm my storm. As you're giving these storms to Jesus in prayer, it is so very encouraging that we would know that whereas He said in history, Hush, be still, He still says, Hush, be still to storms. He still says, Peace, be still. He still has that authority. There is not a storm that any one of us has identified that he lacks authority over. Lord Jesus, no longer in a boat, but seated at the Father's right hand in glory. We thank you that you heard our prayers, and that as we have given you our storms in faith, that you care. You watchfully care. Help us not to pick up the backpack Containing the storms and the anxieties, but to leave it with you, Jesus. And when we do pick up the backpack, show us we did. And give us grace to give it back to you again. Thank you, Lord, that we can radiate faith. And we know from our personal experiences that when we trust you for storms and you come through, that our faith grows and our propensity to trust you in future storms grows. Thank you for the hush and the peace that we feel right now in this place. And thank you for the hush and the peace that we can feel leaving this place and walking through the storm until you calm it. And we pray these things, Lord Jesus, in love for you because you first loved us. We pray in your name, Lord Jesus, amen. Amen.